Hi, I am Sophie Vaux, and this is the Rise and Play podcast. In this new series, I am focusing on portraits of women who have an outstanding career in games. How did they get into games? How did they reach their high position and career? What have been their personal and career choices to get to the level, and why? I want to bring more light to the wide range of career paths available for women in leadership positions in the industry and to inspire you to dream big for your life and career too. Let's begin. So today I am super, super excited to have Simonetta Lully with me on the podcast. Simonetta joined Gamehouse as the new CEO in October last year to fulfill its mission of becoming the leading provider of casual mobile games for women. Prior to joining Gamehouse, Simonetta spent the last several years as head of Spinmaster Studio in Los Angeles, leading digital games, mobile connected products, and high-tech integration in this global children's entertainment company, where she collaborated with internal entertainment property units, as well as external partners like Warner Bros. and DreamWorks. And previously, Simonetta was also the president, CEO, and chairwoman of a board at Booth World in Montreal, a virtual world and social network for preteens and teens. Before, she was the SVP at Sulake, developers of Habo Hotel, the game, and the biggest online virtual game for teens, where among other roles, she led global marketing, community advertising, and user growth. So, Simonetta, wow, this is an amazing track record. Uh, Very big company, uh, very big also franchise uh, games, of course, that I have known in Finland with Habu. There's a lot, of course, we can talk about on this podcast today. But let's begin with, you know, what are you up to today as you join, of course, a new exciting challenge and company? And what makes you excited today, whether it's personal or professional? So thank you very much for inviting me. I'm super excited as well to be here, sharing a little bit of my experience So I think that for me, the most exciting thing and why I took the challenge of Game House as a CEO is really to put the company in a growth path in a mission and vision that really matched my female point of view, targeting female players with great success. And for me, being able to lead a team that is creating products for female is very interesting. It's very interesting for me to be able to play my own games and to give feedback because previously I was doing a lot of children and I was putting myself in their mind, which maybe was not too difficult. <laughs> But I think that now it's a great opportunity and it's a great opportunity as well to break the bias above female leading gaming companies. So I can really feel the excitement and of course the alignment as you joining as a female CEO and on a very strong company that has all its focus on female audience, game house product with all the narrative and story around romance and as well, like very feminine and a chance to share more about your mission and your vision for a future of a company. What do you see maybe as missed opportunities happening in the market on games designed for a female audience and that you would like to pursue more as you take this role and like have the possibility to change it? Our bigger mission in Ambition in Game House is really to own the me time of the female players in the genres that they play the most. We target an audience that is very wide of female. We have games that are for younger audience. We have games that are for older audience. We have games in 
PC or in subscription model, in free-to-play. Game House really targets, I would say, the females however they want to play on their me time. For us, focusing first on how the female play and what is the behavior of them playing is very important. Female players have adapted to the games, but I don't think the games have adapted to them. Even if I know that many games are very successful on the female players, I think that there are certain gaps that it would really give the female audience how they play in the times they play. And I think it will change the type of games or at least the design of the games would be different from the fact that most of them play, you know, it's a way of relaxing. And are we designing for that? I'm not sure if everyone is designing for that. I think that people, when they think in casual games, they're on the time they spend on the subway or on the bus or spare time. But reality is female players may play differently. And I hope we can build based on the behavior of the female their social interest and the way they play and they like, rather than them adapting to whatever we think they are doing. You're touching on an important point, like it's very intentional as well to go really in depth of the audience understanding. So here, not looking at casual audience as a broad, just audience, but really with intention in this female audience that also has limited time. So you seem to have insights or observation on that by design, adapting in the daily schedule of uh, busy women, you know, with just life, not just uh, professional, but personal, of course, family and everything. Have you done already some efforts into some invest in that in user research, you know, to understand how did you get those insights? Maybe what's your vision to have more of that, you know, understanding the community around your games? We do have an audience committee in the company. We do have as well surveys. For example, during May, we are launching a campaign called, because it's Moms Month, right, uh, across the world, we are launching a campaign that is Moms Turn to Play. And uh, we have done a survey where we'll share as well some data on how women and, and moms specifically in this campaign play. I think female players rarely will consider themselves as gamers, for example. It's a keyword that they don't link with them. If you go older, even less, even some of them may feel a little bit, I'm not going to say ashamed, but uh, they don't broadcast that they play as males will. And I think doing these surveys and talking their language when we are asking things, that's what we are doing. But as well, I think Game House, with all these 20 plus years experience in catering to female players, they know and they are ahead of the curve in many of these things. And even the fact that we are doing narrative games, there is a clear emotional connection in the female mind. And this is not me saying it, it's research and, you know, we can prove it. Female mind, all day are linked to emotions. For me, it was an eye-opener because my mind all day is thinking. I saw this study where they were saying that a female goes in a bus and sees a purse and then suddenly she starts thinking about, oh, I saw the purse last time in this place and my mom would like it. And then it becomes a whole conversation with herself about the purse. But in reality, what is happening is that she had an emotional connection with that purse. And it happens to be that is how the mindset is built. And that's why I think narrative games work very well on females. And that's why we try to connect with emotions not only with 
pure gameplay. That's very nice how you frame it. And I think it gives me another perspective as well, looking at games where creating emotions, it's really hard to engineer. But listening to you, I can empathize with the audience and understand, you know, the challenges and what are the things that make them tick. And I think this is one of the biggest advantage of you joining the company at this phase and bringing your vision and testing, you know, new things to bring it to another level. But let's go back to you joining last October, Game House. The role here for you as CEO is quite broad. And with this mission, what are your main area of focus in your coming month, your priorities? My current priorities has been first to focus on setting strategically and organizationally the company for growth in the sense that I'm a great believer in ownership and responsibilities. I trust easily you know once that fails that's difficult for me to gain trust again in a way i think my leadership type is to create a process where people own their own targets they own their future but they need to think and be logic they need to convince us and themselves that they can make it right and that implies targets and implies deadlines and implies gates and that mean as well changing our organization way of working. My point is not to enforce what my thinking may be. My point is to give them the tools for them to think about it and give the questions for them to think about it. I think we are setting the big pillars to be able to grow very steadily in the next months and years. Mm -hmm. So that has been the focus. I have created a, a matrix organization, a vertical and horizontal reporting, so that people as well can collaborate more among themselves. So it's not only about what can you do in your own product, it's how can you help mentor or participate in the company goals. So I can see indeed, and it's human, change is difficult. What are the main challenges you see in this transition period? You mentioned also a few tools, maybe more culturally or for people, you know, to adapt to this new model, which I'm sure is the challenge of many other organizations that are following the model that you described. What I would love is that the teams own it and are independent enough that they will almost come to me and to us and say, hey, I think we need this role. We need this to grow. I need this. You are independent. And for that as well, it requires a certain personality to be able to adapt and to own. Maybe not everyone wants to own things. One of the biggest priorities for us is really hiring. That's on top of my head. Hiring the right people and the people that fit with this philosophy. Those who fit and really want to have an impact in the games that they are doing. And I think it's very rewarding when you own your own target future and your own work, when you deliver and when you think outside of the box to manage to get the targets. I think it's a very creative, even if not artistic necessarily, but it's very creative role in your day-to-day. -day. So you need to have a certain mindset. So hiring and, and, and reorganizing the talent for that will be important. Yeah, with the challenges as well of having the right people with this mindset. I had a question then also, this vision of organization, what was your main inspiration for this model of way of working? Reality is, I think a lot has been my experience. I learned from Sulake and Habo Hotel, my 10 years experience there. Uh, a little bit was 
and CEO or a spin master or boost world. So my experience has been adding up. I don't have a book or theory. Uh, I listen a lot and I observe quietly a lot. And when I observe something that is working or, or someone that is doing something good, I try to implement it in the process as well. As you spent quite some time at Sulake, I remember also working in Finland that was something very strong as well in the way these organizations are built, like very uh, part of a Finland culture in gaming. Is, is that so? Sulake and Habo Hotel was one of the first. I remember when they started doing funding for new games. We didn't have a book or a university to go to. We were creating it based on our experience. And, and to be honest, Finnish I don't know what they study, I don't know, but <laughs> they, they clearly have a very independent ownership from the education onwards. So, for example, kids at eight years old are in the subway going to school independently. If you would do that in the U.S., people will freak out. I live in many places, but that's how it is. They learn to own things and to be independent. And, and another thing as well for me was clearly data. Data was everything for us since day one. I was coming from gambling online. So, of course, data already in gambling online was very important. But for me, that's another pillar, for example, in Game House, is how we will be more data-driven than we are right now and how data is important for absolutely every role in the company. It's not only for product, data helps finance for their forecasts, helps marketing for their optimization, helps, you know, you name it. So at the end, a gaming company, it is about data and KPIs. And implementing that is very important. And I learned it from the beginning of my life with Lake and the Finnish culture. They are very operational as well. You know, I remember someone told me at that time, what you cannot explain in an Excel you cannot do. And I think that explains a lot of the philosophy, how I think as well. Almost my mind is an Excel or a roadmap. Or <laughs> you cannot logically explain it to me. I'm not sure I will buy it. And if I cannot buy it, I cannot sell it outside, <laughs> right? So it's kind of, I need the logic behind. And that's a way to convince me to do anything, really. Yeah, it, it is in the end a form of common language, right? So... Data makes it very concrete and tangible when you have to discuss something and not uh, opinions, which is quite a hard way to <laughs> develop business and games these days. Yeah, and, and I think now that you mentioned some people in other cases have asked me, how did you convince people about things in environments that maybe were not welcoming to what I was trying to sell? I, I think my opinion was always, it's not my opinion, it's data and it's logic. <laughs> then you can or you don't want to take the risk or that's a different risk assessment or scenarios you want to do. But at the end of the day, I don't think my opinion is more knowledgeable than other people. It's about how you articulate your logic. You will tell me one thing with the same data and I will tell you a different thing. And I think the discussion is what is very interesting. I am fully aligned. And so I understand that here you have also a challenge to reorganize or structure data inside the organization to have uh, more processes that would involve more data. Yeah, right now it's data-driven, of course, it's a gaming company. What is the magic sauce of all the games that made it? 
I would say is data. At the end, if you can show right KPIs, then everything is easy in a way. <laughs> if you don't show right KPIs, you can sell a dream, but it's only a dream. And at the end, that doesn't bring you growth or investment. So at the end, it's all about data. Mm-hmm. It is very, very important indeed at the center of uh, the business we're doing to calculate everything, you know, profitability, future revenues, growth. Yeah, exactly. Or LTV. I mean, I remember the first time at Habo that we were even evaluating what was LTV. Mm-hmm. That I thought it was one of the first times anyone was. And I remember the calculations that we were trying to do. It was fascinating. I'm still fascinated to talk about economies and you know, I did a study economy as background and I wanted to be a public economist. Anyway, it didn't happen. I think the closest that I did was really this gaming economies and the discussions that we had internally was like almost politics, right? There was people believing one thing and other people believing other things. And it fascinates me to find patterns, you know, that we can replicate. And we design games thinking on a certain behavior and then suddenly the behavior is totally different and one investor of real networks that is a parent of game house asked me what is why are you in gaming and to be really honest what i really love is the psychology behind of why people do certain things during playing and data tells me one side of it Insights tell me another thing. Playtest tells me another thing. But at the end, it's all about why mm-hmm. the people are doing certain things. The most complex question about humans and what, you know, make us do things. But I, I share the same fascination and excitement of uh, working on products and especially games because it's not just a need that you are solving. It's not like a product that helps you do this. Games is like between, you know, emotions and functionality. So that makes it even more uh, complex, but also the one of the most exciting challenges that we can have uh, in business. You know, one thing that changed my mind as well was I went to a, a congress once and, and there was a Google person explaining how Google defined creativity, not as artistic creative, but as people that think outside of the box. And finally, someone was kind of defining myself because I'm not artistic at all. I cannot even draw a cow. I'm creative in trying to solve problems. And that challenge in gaming or at company level is what drives me. It's very fun to solve problems. What drove you to take this new challenge? As you were already quite busy, uh, you've done a lot in your career. What made you take the leap again, you know, and like taking a company, it's a big commitment, a lot of work. It, it, it's funny because I was CEO before in Bootswall. It was in a smaller company in Habbo Hotel. You know, I really love my job. I always pursued happiness through work. I think that if I spend a lot of my time working, it should be in something that I love. That's what I hope my kids understand, you know, that it's about being happy every day and every hour that you can, because life is very short. You know, becoming again CEO, I knew as well the sacrifices that it meant for me. And I was not sure I wanted to do it because it's a very lonely role, first of all. To be objective, you cannot have friends. I understand that maybe what I'm saying is a little bit harsh, but it's reality. It's a lonely role. It is as well a lot in your head 
and a lot of responsibility. A lot of people depend on some of your decisions. I have three kids. I'm living in LA right now, and the company and the offices is in Eindhoven in Netherlands, in Barcelona, and in Alicante in Spain. So for me, taking this role was a very personal sacrifice. At the end of the day, you know, you need to prioritize. So it took me a while. Originally, I started consulting with Gamehouse, and that was great. I even remember saying in summer, saying, oh, my God, I don't want to go back to work in a company. I'm so happy (laughs) being on my own. But then this opportunity came, and it became, in my head, like an interesting opportunity that probably may not come very often or maybe never. It's very rare that they offer a CEO role to a woman. You know, 7% of the gaming companies are led by a women CEO. So that was already a great opportunity. Then the opportunity to create games for females and to break the bias uh, of being a CEO. And it really was matching my personality, the right timing. I was ready to fight for it at a personal level. You know, before I was not ready or I didn't want to. But this time I had two girls and a boy and my two girls are 14 and 13 years old. You know, I think it's very important to have role models. I think it's very important to break the bias that only male can do this. I don't think the new generations think that way. I never thought that way. But reality is only 7% of women are CEOs so in the gaming industry. So for me, I sat with them, with the family. They are old enough now to understand. And I discuss and I say, hey, this will be a sacrifice for all of us. But I think it aligns with my morals and my belief. And I think I should do it. And they were super supportive. My husband, super supportive. They even were almost the ones who decided for me because it reached a moment for me that I was like, I'm not sure if I want to do this. It's a lot of travel. I traveled two weeks a month to Europe. And it was more them saying, you cannot lose this opportunity. You should do it for you, for breaking the bias and for the girls to see that this is possible. And one of the things that people tell me the most in interviews that I do with male or partners that I talk is I want to be part of Game House. I have daughters that I want to show that uh, we can design games for female, that a company can be led by a female. So it's very interesting how it actually is happening and I'm helping. And, and I think that you cannot pay that with money. I'm fighting for uh, equality with your career. I think it's very rare. Thanks for sharing uh, such a, you know, a personal story, Simonetta. It's very touching as well for me. And very inspiring as well as in seeing more female CEOs. And it does help for your presence today in the podcast, but also seeing as role models other women doing it and even being open about how they got there and why they got there. So it's very meaningful and insightful as you are taking a role as a CEO. It is a very demanding job. A lot of expectations are on you. You have to report to a lot of people. Also, I understand you have a parent company to stakeholders, investors, your employees, your family, personal life. A lot of things are on you and it feels very lonely. I heard that as well from many CEOs and leaders in general, but I'm sure it's on another level for CEO. So 
What are the tools for you to handle that? In terms of decisions, I try to do things logically and that I feel are right. When I'm doing something, it's because I believe it's the right thing. It takes a little bit less pressure on the decision. So that in terms of decisions, I would say that is my trick. And uh, in terms of how I manage my life and my travel, my family and all, all of that, my work, I'm not going to lie that I work a lot. But I think my biggest ally is flexibility. So I think that for me, that's key number one. I always need to get out sometimes and I work very well on a Starbucks or terraces or I try to find my spaces that are not at home or at the office. I have a game with one of my kids at 3 p.m. that I'm able to go to that game without feeling guilty because I know that I'm responsible enough to be able to work at 6 p.m. or whatever. You know, you have a sick kid or a, a family that is sick. You know, don't feel pressure and that the company supports family at all levels, from kids to parents to partners, whatever, whatever supports. The calendar goes around my family and not my family around my calendar. I, of course, understand that maybe I have now the position to be able to do that. But I truly hope that in Game House, people can do that with flexibility. I did a big mistake already once in my life when I went to GDC on the day of one of my daughter's birthday, my second daughter, Valeria, and she never forgot it. She always was scared the following birthdays, I will not be with her. Originally, I didn't think it was such a big deal because the party was during the weekend and I was traveling to GDC during the week, but for her it was a big deal. So I realized how small things like that that I could adapt to were very big for them. So I tried to adapt to those things. And despite, for example, I'm working two working weeks in Europe a month, I'm already agreed that I will always be three weekends with them and only one weekend out. And even the weekend out that I'm not with them, because the company has in Barcelona and Alicante in Spain, and my mom and my aunt and my family are here in Spain and my friends, um, I do always go to help my mom or to and my aunt and to take them out and you know go for dinner. So I try to to get the opportunity to get family time even in my travel time. So that way it looks less heavy <laughs> as well for me. I think it's a great inspiration hearing how you manage your time and organize yourself as a female CEO and as a mother, right? You say how important is flexibility and here it gives uh, concreteness and why uh, it's important. And then you set the example, right, for a company, how it's possible. So we say often that things start from the top and it's true because here you show that it's possible to lead a company while making family your priority and you make this happen. And so in the culture you build by definition is supporting that for probably more women and mothers to join and be leaders because that's part of your priority. So I think it's really important how transparent and visible you are about your priorities and how you arrange your time. Here you are, it's possible, right? It is very interesting as well, right? Another question that I get a lot is, oh, you don't sleep almost anything. And I'm like, oh no, you don't understand. I sleep a lot. <laughs> 
<laughs> I go to bed at 8.30. Usually I'm sleeping already. I wake up very early because of the European time. But uh, I need to sleep a lot. And for that, you need to plan. I think I plan a lot, but I'm not super freak in a way of calendar. But I, I need to sleep. The other thing that I always joke around is uh, I don't go to therapy or anything like that because... My therapy is to go to the games of my kids and be a very loud cheerleader. Even sometimes I need to go to the side so that because I shout so much. <laughs> but it relieves stress from me, right? It's a moment where I don't need to think about anything but the game or them or Yeah, totally. And again, what I take from what you shared is really having a clear clarity on your priorities. Where do you want to spend time, you know, what is important for you and plan for it. A day is limited in the number of hours, not cutting on your sleeping time. So uh, at the end of the day, you cut on many other things because they are not so important and you seem to have clarity on what's important. And then those things roll because they are the things that, you know, have impact for your life, for your energy and to do what you, you do today. I learned this at 20 years old. I learn it <laughs> with experience, right? Because, you know... And mistakes, I, uh, as you mentioned. Yeah, I did... My family suffered a lot from mm. my prioritization of work. My kids uh, are very uh, close together, the three of them. And, you know, I think that I couldn't have done this without my partner 100%. If you talk with many female CEOs or CFOs or... Most of them will have a common thing that is their partner supported a lot or they were alone or if they were with a family, the partner needed to balance that role that in my case I was having. And he works from home. He's been working from home for 10 or 11 years. It, it makes a big difference knowing that, you know, you have someone at home and that you can relax. So I think if I'm here where I am, I think it's Definitely thanks to him. And it's great to give the credits as well for people who have supported you and especially a partner, as Vera rarely mentioned as well in the success story of individuals. As you said, like you have been growing in your own journey. So throughout your whole career, what is an event that you can think of that really shaped you significantly like a lesson of life for uh, who you are today? I lost my brother when I was 11 years old. He was eight. And I think that changed my life. And why I think that's important? I think it changed my life in understanding that life is short. And that you need to do what you like. And that you need to fight for what you want. And you need to own things. Because obviously, probably I became a little bit more mature faster than other people. Like that circumstance. It became clear for me as well that uh, I was not seeing the world how other 11-year-old people were seeing it, right? I mean, from one day to another, you lose your brother in an accident and, and suddenly you, you cannot talk to other kids as they cannot understand you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very, or even adults cannot understand what you are suffering or what you are passing. And I think that for me, it shaped who I am probably the most. I think I was a, a different person before than I, I was after. Thanks for sharing this personal story. And what I can see here in a lot of the things you shared today and how you shared it, 
Hunger for life in the sense, like, you know, make the most of the day today, like do what you can today, uh, what's important, like family, uh, make things that matter, give impact, taking responsibility. A lot of these values are translated in your leadership style and personal style. And I think it's, it's great to see that and also understand the background of that. So thanks for sharing. And I have a last question then for a discussion today is what is success to you? I never pursue success. I don't think it was never in my in my goals. For me, success is really wake up every day and be happy. And maybe that sounds very theoretical, but every day almost, not every day I'm happy, uh, not every day I'm positive. You know, some days I wake up a little bit less positive. But I think the success is when you wake up every day and you are happy with where you are and what you're doing, whatever it is. Be happy and enjoy the ride is what success is for me. And that's the best answer because it's your answer. So now we are at our last questions. So my first question is, what is the first thing you do when you wake up? <laughs> I check my phone. <laughs> <laughs> what do you check? I don't want to say that because that's not very... very <laughs> Yes, I, I wake up and the first thing I check, because I wake up, if I'm waking up in, in LA, my team here in Europe has been already working for a few hours. So I need to understand what I'm going to have in front of me during the day. <laughs> my second question, what is the recent thing that you're the most excited or interested in learning? Hmm. I would study two things. One would be BI and analytics. I think that is something that I do based on my experience and my knowledge. The second thing I would learn or study is game design. I think mm -hmm. it's fascinating as well. And my last question, who would be the first person you hire now that you need the most now? I think a senior game designer, lead game designer. I think that would understand the vision and the mission that we are implementing in the company. I think that would be a very core role that currently we would benefit a lot. And that is open right now. Well, with this question, I guess your message has been passed on, you know, and for the listeners here, you heard it. It's a very <laughs> demanded role and also a great futurizing company as well with great values of leadership. Simonetta, we are at the end of our discussion today. I've enjoyed a lot our discussion, very personal things that really touched me personally as well and inspired me, you know, to see with a different lens, a role CEO and different type of CEOs. So it's very refreshing as well uh, that you shared your story, your time today. Thanks a lot. No, thank you. It was a pleasure. It was very fun. So thank you very much. Take care. Until next time. Thanks for listening to this new episode of Raise and Plague podcast. If you enjoyed the content and want to support what we're doing, rate and review the podcast, spread the word about it. If you'd like to contribute to the change too, reach out to me on LinkedIn for a collaboration. You'll find all the rest of the content on riseandplay.io, including my free masterclass on conscious leadership, how to hire a team with a vision, or how to lead and build a team for the long-term game. Until the next time.